0: Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Changing the Game in Consumer Industries, presented by SAP. The best-run business is run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in a digital world, to run, grow, connect, and transform, to engage customers and patients across their journey. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D.
1: Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So excited to be introducing another new series here in 2018, Changing the Game in Consumer Industries. So much to talk about. Let me just give you a little overview of what the series will cover, and then we'll do our usual opening, and I'll introduce the guests. So... Competition, consumer engagement, and operational effectiveness are fundamentally changing at an accelerated pace in consumer industries. As the French say, vite, vite, that means faster, faster. What's going on? New competitors are redefining the landscape. What's going on with consumers? We, the consumers, expect exceptional experiences with every brand every time. We want to balance our needs with a company's cost to serve personalized consumer experiences are paramount. We want what we want when we want it. We want these companies to be relevant. We want them to deal with us with simplicity. We want every interaction to be seamless and most of all secure. Read privacy in there somewhere. We're talking about retail. We're talking about wholesale distribution, life sciences, and consumer products. These companies have a mandate to run, grow, connect, and transform in a digital world to engage customers and patients when it comes to life sciences Across our journey as consumers. So, this is our brand new series, and let me tell you who our special guests are. Well, let's do the buzz first, the buzz on the street. I have a quote from digitally.cognizant.com. Here we go. To ensure ongoing product innovation and closer consumer relationships, consumer goods manufacturers must reimagine their business. I think we already said that above, and take advantage of new technologies in order to stay in the game. What are we talking about today? IoT. You know, we have a series called Internet of Things with Game Changers, and IoT comes up in many of our Game Changers series. Did you know that the market for IoT is expected to top over a half a trillion dollars by 2023. And because of this, SAP did a study asking consumer products executives around the world how IoT adoption can solve their business challenges. That's a very broad topic, but it's focused on consumer products companies. They found out that those who understand how to apply IoT reported the real value is in supply chain processes, but they found out a lot more. So let me tell you who the three panelists are, and then we'll get started. First up, I'm pleased to welcome one of the people who is behind this brand new series. He's been working really, really hard with me the past few weeks to put this together. It's Don Gordon, Global Director of Marketing for Consumer Products Industry at SAP. Joining Don on the panel is Mike Quindazzi, a Managing Director at PWC. And rounding out the panel, Carol McKenzie. Vice President, Business Development for the Consumer Products Industry at SAP. Welcome to our three esteemed guests, and let's get started. Don has sent me a quote from T.S. Eliot from the Dry Salvages. That's right. Dry Salvages, third poem of T.S. Eliot's Four Quartets. The title comes from the name of a rock formation near a town where he spent time as a child. Don, I don't know if you knew this was about a rock. Here's the quote. Not farewell, but fare forward Voyagers. Don Gordon, how are you today? You excited about the new series? I'm very
2: excited. I'm pleased to be on, and uh, it's always a pleasure to speak with you, Bonnie.
1: Thank you. You're very kind. So talk to me. Are you a big follower of T.S. Eliot? And did you know that this title comes from a rock near where he grew up? I was surprised.
2: I did know that, but uh, only because this is, a, this is a series of poems that I'm, uh, I, I like a lot and I've read repeatedly over the years.
1: So tell me about how the quote applies to our topic. We're talking about IoT, a brave new world, consumer products, executives need to embrace it. Why, how, where, when, at what cost? So how, what would T.S. Eliot say if he knew, shockingly, that he was being talked about on a show on the Internet? Seriously, Don?
2: Yeah, I, I suspect when T.S. Eliot wrote the poem, he may not have been thinking directly about the Internet of Things. Um,
1: but <laughs> Duté. <laughs> yeah,
2: it's a good, good one. Why, Thank uh, you. Uh, you know he i think um you know when he when he talks about uh not farewell but fair forward um you know the 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 thing that i like about it is the idea that we know that all these technologies are moving forward we know that the industry is changing very quickly that the competition's changing quickly and you you know as a consumer product um executive or decision maker you, you may not know exactly what you need to do with these technologies but you still have to move forward, and you may not know exactly which which paths are going to lead to the immediate results, but you have to move forward, um, and so I, I think it's, it's pretty telling in that sense.
1: Thank you, Donna, and before I, I go on and introduce the quotes from Mike and from Carol, who are waiting so patiently, question for you. If we had to simplify it down to one or two sentences – Consumer industries, consumer products. What does this encompass? I mentioned uh, retail, wholesale distribution, life sciences, consumer products. How would you simplify that and tell us what we're going to be covering in this series over the course of the year? Yeah, that's a good question. And um, much like uh, a lot of other things in our
2: business, how the industries are defined tends to vary a little bit depending on who Mm -hmm. you're asking. Um, So, you know, Mike from a different organization would probably give a different answer but for us at SAP, we think of consumer industries as being consumer products, retail, wholesale distribution, and life sciences. So, you know, all industries where um, the the, the, uh, the interaction with the end consumer is kind of primary to to uh, to what those businesses are doing. Consumer products, as a as kind of a significant subset of that, we're dealing with a, with a whole range of um, types of companies from. Um, Companies that are that are producing uh, what we call fast-moving consumer goods, you know, big companies like, let's say, Unilever, Procter and Gamble, you know, Coke, Pepsi—all the you know the, the product names that that appear in all of our our grocery stores. But but as well, we we deal with um, very large fashion companies. We deal with very large um, agribusiness companies that are producing. Uh, meat and dairy products. So it, it's, it's a pretty big range of, uh, of industries and segments that we're talking about.
1: Thank you very much. So we have a lot, a lot to cover on this series, and I have to do a shout out to your colleague Michelle Schuf, who also helped put this together. And Michelle and uh, and Joe Miles at SAP did a brief series with me in 2017 about life sciences. So now we have life sciences as part of this bigger topic area. Thank you, Don, and welcome, and looking forward to working with you throughout the year on the series. And now let's introduce Mike Quindazzi. And Mike, has, Mike, what an interesting quote you sent. Oh my. And I did a little digging, Mike. Let me read the quote, and then I'll tell you what I dug up on it, and then I'll have you comment. Here's the quote. Humans are the lowest-cost, 150-pound, nonlinear, all-purpose computer system, which can be mass-produced by low-skilled labor. Okay, everybody, let that sink in. Mike, I found the earliest attribution was the New York Times in May 1954, which predates your 1965 NASA comment. It's in a story about NATO scientists and a U.S. test pilot named Albert Scott Crossfield. And Crossfield was an American naval officer and test pilot. In 1953, he became the first pilot to fly at twice the speed of sound. And he posed the following question in a New York Times interview. He said, where can you find another non-linear servo mechanism weighing only 150 pounds and having great adaptability that can be produced so cheaply by completely unskilled labor. That was his question. So Mike, forgive me and welcome Mike Quindazzi to Game Changers. Now you know what I do with the quotes. How are you, Mike?
3: I'm doing well. How are you?
1: I'm fine. So talk to me about how this quote re- relates to our topic today. Big topic, new series. Talk to me.
3: Well, hey, it's, it's great to join you all and uh, thanks for having Thank me on you. the show, first of all. And, you know, when you asked for a quote, I was thinking, you know, what what type of quote would be provocative for this subject around IoT, uh, and that would be relevant to, you know, a discussion that's going on in industry today, uh, which is really all about humans and machines uh, working together and working together more efficiently. And I thought, you know, this quote really kind of highlights how amazing uh, humans are in some regard. Um, But it also, you know, gives you a point in time when, when we first started talking about going and to the moon in the early '60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that time, um, a gigaflop of computing cost 1.1 trillion dollars, and so that was the comparative they were using. Today, a gigaflop of computing costs about eight cents. Mm-hmm. I mean, so in addition to the massive amounts of computing power that have uh, been just entering the enterprise and entering our homes, um, the cost of storage has also declined dramatically. Um, so, you know, back in back in the early '60s. You wanted a terabyte of storage, you'd, you'd be paying three and a half billion dollars uh, today. You know, we all get a few, maybe five gigs free with our uh, cell phone plans. So, just a massive amounts of storage. And even if you go back to 2000, when you looked at the cost of connectivity, um, you know, the cost of connectivity has dropped a thousand times uh, over the last 18, 19, 20 years. So, really, you know, all of these components are the things that are driving uh, the Internet of Things and So I just thought it would be a fun quote to kind of throw it out there.
1: Absolutely, definitely, and and I have to thank you because, as you now know, you and I just met a couple days ago on our prep call, I really enjoy researching these quotes, and you gave me a run for my money, Mike, so thank you. (laughs) I use quote investigator all the time, and I just love, there are about eight names thrown out as possible sources to this, and I took it back a little farther than you did. So thank you for the provocative quote. Uh, We weren't sure about that one, but you tied it in beautifully. So I appreciate that, and welcome. A lot more to hear from you during the show. And you're an IoT expert. That's what you're going to bring to the table. And now let me welcome our third panelist. She is Carol McKenzie, and Carol has sent us a quote from Theodore Roosevelt, who lived from 1858 to 1919, American states author, explorer, soldier, and naturalist who was the 26th president of the U.S. from 1901 to 1909. He was the 25th vice president from March to September 1901, and he was the 33rd governor of New York from 1899 to 1900. His face is on Mount Rushmore alongside George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and Abraham Lincoln. And for goodness sake, Bonnie, get to the quote already. Here we go. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena. If he fails, fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who never know victory nor defeat. Carol Mackenzie, what a beautiful quote. How are you today?
4: I am well. Thank you, Bonnie. I'm so thrilled to join this panel today. Thank you for hosting.
1: We are thrilled to have you, and you're a newcomer, and we're delighted. I didn't know you until a couple of days ago. We met on the phone, thanks to Don Gordon, and I love the quote. So let's apply the quote to our topic, Carol. What do you see in this quote that consumer industries people need to know?
4: Well, this, obviously this quote can be applied to so many aspects of life, which is one reason I love it, and it has been with me for a long time in my career. But IoT you know, brings a set of challenges that, many consumer companies um, hadn't wrestled with before. Um, you know, many of our customers and other technology providers, you know, large implementations over many years. IoT proposes kind of a different approach, which is more try something on a smaller incremental scale, learn from it, either expand it out and take it broader or scrap it and go on to the next thing. So that that aspect of not being afraid to fail and trying kind of on the edge is very much inherent in what we believe consumer companies need to do in
1: order to adopt these new technologies. Okay. So do you agree with the quote that Don picked from T.S. Eliot, not farewell but fare forward? you think that that's the same type of message? I, I do.
4: I think it's all about being willing to explore um, being willing to go out there, you know, make an investment in a smaller-scale project, learn from it, modify it, tailor it, and, and move on. I think it's much the same approach. And um, many on the call, I'm sure, are familiar with design thinking, which is really mm-hmm. an adopted approach in general for a lot of these type of technologies, to focus on a given persona, you know, that's living the pain within one of these companies, figure out, you know, what an alternative solution is, and then put a
1: small-scale project in place, Try it out, move it on. And tell me something, Carol, you brought up design thinking. We, we've had several series here on Game Changers over the past six years that focused on innovation. Design thinking, of course, comes up often and often and often. And there's a mantra, fail fast, fail often. You're supposed to learn from your mistakes. Is is that a, an ethic or a or a personality trait that will fare well (laughs) for, I'm using the word again, Don, farewell for people who are running these consumer industries, companies, this idea that try it, you might not like it at first, you might have to retrofit or rethink it, but keep digging in, especially in the world of IOT, until you get it right. Is there that concept that it's okay to make a misstep and then come back and do it better, Carol? Absolutely,
4: Bonnie. That's, that's definitely what we're, we're putting in place with our customers and, and trying to coach them to, to get more comfortable in that really new domain of, of smaller investments, you know, that show um, maybe smaller scale results than they're used to. But then, mm-hmm. you know, how do we take that more broadly? So it's definitely inherent, we believe, in the
1: adoption of these type of technologies. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Don Gordon, we're going to have a little storytelling fun now, circling around the table to you. And Don, this is a standard element here on our Game changer shows. It's called What's in Your Cup today. So I have two questions, and then we'll follow up with Mike and Carol. Number one, where are you calling from? You don't have to give us the Google Map coordinates of the roof of your house or your office. Not quite that personal. And then we'd love to know, what are you drinking today that makes you smile and makes you really energized to talk about this topic? Or what did you have over the holidays? What It was in your cup that really made you happy. Don Gordon.
2: Yes. Um, I'm calling from the great city of uh, Philadelphia, where we're all getting, needless to say, very excited about the, uh, the upcoming Super Bowl. And oh, yes. currently I'm drinking um, from one of uh, a Yeti mug, which is one of our Yetis, a, a great um, company that's actually one of our clients that makes these amazing cups that keep drinks either either hot or cold for for seemingly endlessly and i'm actually um an insufferable coffee snob and so (laughs) we buy these these locally roasted beans um there's a company in philly called reanimator coffee and then uh you know grind them and even though we're talking about you know very um contemporary modern technologies here we i go back to the uh The Chemex, which I think was was designed and invented in the 50s and where you you do the hand pour over of the coffee. So um, once you start uh, doing this, uh, these sort of traditional coffee uh, roasting, pouring, um, it's hard to go back. So that's, that's what I'm into at the moment.
1: Oh, you know something? You, you brought a tear to my eye, not intentionally, Don. We have a series yeah. called The Future of Cars with Game Changers. And uh, we, mid-year last year, the sponsor of that series at SAP, Larry Stoley, who was our car guy. Larry passed away very, very suddenly. Well, on a conference call you, yes, with I, a colleague knew, at SAP, you knew Larry. Or, you and Larry was on almost every episode of The Future of Cars. As a matter of fact, we're debuting their third season next Tuesday with obviously different people on his team. And Larry was a big proponent of the Yeti mug. And Larry used to, I'd say, Bonnie, I'd say, Larry, what do you drink? drinking? Well, Bonnie, you know, I'm drinking from my Yeti mug. <laughs> it was, <laughs> You're the first one to mention it since then. So pardon me for the little trip down memory lane. And, and we do something called Express Radio, where we take an, a previous episode that's been live and then recorded, and we do... All Audio clips from it to create a three minute highlight reel, if you will. And I picked one a couple of weeks ago from Larry. He was on that show talking about his Yeti mug. And it was, uh, it was quite a hardship so I'm I delighted that you mentioned the Yeti mug because you bring back wonderful memories of Larry forgive me just for that quick pause and trip down memory lane Mike Quindazzi I'm sure you're not going to make me cry Mike where? I don't know though Mike where are you calling from and what would make you very very happy if it's not in your cup right now go ahead Mike
3: well uh, I'm calling in from Los Angeles and uh, last night we had a 4-0 earthquake um, so that was a lot of fun I mean temperature oh, should dear. be around 70 and sunny but um, I figured, hey, if the earthquake didn't make me jittery enough, maybe I needed an uh, energy drink this morning. So that's <laughs> okay. what I'm drinking.
1: What kind of energy drink? Uh, you're allowed to give us brand names if you want to. So, what? What? Anything special you'd like to recommend? I'm interested.
3: Well, this one's a rock star, and I'm not a big caffeine drinker. I like. i have never really. I don't really drink coffee. Uh, I do drink teas. But you know, when I'm up late night finishing projects and I want to get a good jump start in the morning, once in a while I do have. You know. A little energy, so I had a little uh, rock star this morning. Just
1: to oh, it's called to Rockstar. I thought you were saying this brand is so great we consider it a rock star. Thank oh. <laughs> you very, Thank you very much. Okay, I'm not la- I'm not crying on that one. I'm laughing. Thank you, Mike and Carol McKenzie, we'd love to know where you're calling from and what makes you so happy in your cup today, Carol?
4: <laughs> I'm calling from the beautiful centennial state of Colorado. I live in a Denver suburb. And um, my cup holds Cinnamon Apple Spice Celestial Seasonings Tea. Um, I have a personal history with Celestial Seasonings, which is now Hain Celestial, which is Mm a customer. But I worked there um, in my career um, up in Boulder. It's a crazy, crazy, wonderful company. And if you ever get the chance, you should go because their founder actually created the herbal tea category in the Mm -hmm. United States. In the 60s, he actually went up in his VW bus, complete with um, flower power stickers, and collected herbs. And that began the herbal tea category in the United States. And we all love their products. So I'm passionate about Celestial, which is now part of Hain Group, Hain Celestial.
1: Well, that, that's a lovely story. And I'll tell you that uh, I, I recently moved to August 27th. Officially, I moved from Long Island, New York to where I am now, Durham, North Carolina, and I had been producing and hosting uh, four TV series, original series that I created at PATV on Long Island, and in the building where our TV studio was housed, I believe Hain Celestial had a major presence there as well in the past couple of years. I never got a chance, because I was always there in the evening to do my TV shows, I never got a chance to walk upstairs and see them, but apparently the uh, the directors of the TV studio knew them very, very well, so I guess that was a missed opportunity for me. Thank you very much Carol and uh, welcome. Glad you're here with us. And Let's see, Don doesn't know me, Mike doesn't know me, and Carol doesn't know me, so what you need to know is they do not let me anywhere near caffeine or energy drinks on radio show days, Mike. That was for you, so <laughs> I think you know why. I think you know why. So all I'm allowed to have is a glass of water, but I have a cool, clear mug. I brought my mugs and me from New York, cool, clear mug, and I have a green straw today because even though we had eight inches of very heavy snow, because I shoveled it last week, and it all melted 48 hours later, which I didn't know was going to happen. It was 70 degrees here yesterday in Durham, and it was 23 this morning. So I'm getting used to this weather system here where they say, if you don't like the weather in Durham, wait 20 minutes or 48 hours, and it'll be something completely different. So green is for the fact that the trees outside my office window here are still all Green. So there you go. That's my, that's my drink for today. And you know where I am. We're having a very interesting opening to a brand new series. Very excited to introduce changing the game in consumer industries. It's big. It's broad. It's vast. People in that industry come from all walks of life. They're talking about retail and wholesale distribution, life sciences, consumer products, a lot to talk about. Today we're focusing on IOT. Come on, you haven't been hiding under a rock if you've been listening to Game Changers for the past six years. That's the Internet of Things. What does it mean to consumer industries? Why do leaders need to be investing in it? Should they take small steps, as Carol McKenzie just said? Fail fast, fail often, but learn from your failures. Small investments. We have a lot more to discuss with Don Gordon, Mike Quindazzi, and Carol McKenzie. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be after the break, so don't even think of touching. That mouse, that that dial, we'll be back. 90 seconds, you can count them with us. Erin, out.
3: Become
0: our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Power your digital transformation. Innovate with new technologies. Integrate them into your business and scale seamlessly as your company grows. Changing the game in consumer industries brings you insights from the movers and shakers who are making this happen. We'll delve into global business challenges and cutting-edge technologies to help you digitally transform for an improved focus on the consumer and the patient. Tune in to the Business Channel to hear today's top consumer industry and technology strategy thought leaders share expert insights on how the digital economy is shaping the future of consumer industries. Changing the Game in Consumer Industries, presented by SAP always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Changing the Game in Consumer Industries, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to changing the game in consumer industries.
1: Indeed. And we couldn't have picked a better title for this new series because the game is changing in consumer industries. No doubt about it. My special guest, Don Gordon at SAP, Mike Quindazzi at PWC, and Carol McKenzie at SAP. We've already introduced the topic, had some interesting quotes from the guests, and now we're going to dig deep and open our roundtable. Don Gordon sent me the following information before the show. Here's where we're going to start. Don said the following. When you see IoT featured, for example, at CES, that's a consumer Electronics show, there's an enormous emphasis on consumer gadgets, smart speakers, wearable tech, and so on. But I expect that for the majority of consumer products companies, they will realize more value in IoT applied to operational parts of the business. Okay, Don, please tell us more.
2: Yeah, well, one of the one of the things that's fascinating when you go out and, and do a study like the one we did, um, and I should say we 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 went out to consumer products companies in in five countries: so um, the U.S., the U.K., Germany, Japan, and India. So we really got kind of a well-rounded view. Um, one, we were really curious to find out where in their business or their organization they think they're going to get value. And as you mentioned, there's there's so much press every day of the week about um, you know devices like uh, uh, you know the Alexa, um, the smart speakers, the the Nest gadgets, which are all amazing and we all love mm-hmm. them. Um, but I was I was actually surprised that when you look at what um, these companies think they're going to do or where they think they're going to get the highest value. They're actually much more focused on things like quality control across the, um, um, the, the manufacturing process, logistics, um, managing the distribution centers, uh, the transportation management. So all of the things that help consumer products companies get the products made in, a, in an efficient way um, at high quality, help them to get to the right place at the right time in ways that, uh, you know, they're – Their customers and and the end consumers end up being satisfied, but a lot of these things are, are actually invisible to the end consumer. They don't necessarily know what's going on with inventory movement or distribution center management, but in fact, a lot of these companies expect that that's where they're going to realize the
0: value.
1: Okay, and is this a revelation to them, Don? Is this something where they're saying, "Aha! It's not just about the cute little gadgets. There is there's a very big business side of benefit there." Just just a question before we move on.
2: I I think that um. I think that there you know it, it, there's there tends to be some some difference. I mean, there's differences from from country to country. Um, depending on how mature some of these companies are in terms of, of, of optimizing these different processes, so I, but I think that companies have actually been pretty quick to recognize that IoT technology could, can can help them solve problems in in different parts of these consumer products processes. I think what's really interesting and kind of harkens back to, to the opening conversation is the question becomes more well, where do you, where do you start. Um, how, how, do you, how do you kind of make decisions or prioritize where you're going to kind of place your bets around IoT? And I think that's a really fascinating question.
1: Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Let's move to Mike Quindazzi at PwC. Mike, you're our IoT-focused specialist on the show. So what's your thought about what Don introduced? And do you agree or disagree that it's time to look at operational side
3: uh, definitely the operational side. And, you know, as Don had stated, um, you know, here at uh, CES uh, this last year, a lot, lot of small little devices. But those uh, little devices are turning into big businesses themselves on the consumer side. Mm-hmm. Um, consumer Technology Association, um, you know, this in 2007, uh, named at least six of these segments that are now billion-dollar businesses, including drones, virtual reality, um, you know, these virtual assistant smart speakers, uh, 4K TV, uh, smart home products and wearables, so you know definitely a huge, uh, a huge market in itself, or new emerging large markets there from a consumer device perspective. Um, and you know, going back to what I was saying earlier around the cost and and also the accessibility of this technology for enterprises, uh, there's just a ton uh, of new amounts of data that uh, companies can use. And you know, these data is coming from multiple different sources. I mean, just take back again, going in 1960 on a factor of one, like one mainframe computer, uh, by the time we got to the desktop era, you know, back in around 2000, there was probably a 1,000 times the number of semiconductors out there than there was uh, back when the mainframe was around. In the mobile era, we had 10,000 times the semiconductors in the IoT era. We have a million times the amount of semiconductors out there that are collecting data from all different sources. And these, these data sources are... Um, creating new and interesting ways for organizations to do a lot of different things. You know, back um, a decade ago when I was working with a large uh, consumer products company, you know, was working on some marketing return on investment, working on some price elasticity uh, programs, and, you know, the data sets that we were using were rather structured and rather limited, and our ability to analyze those was, you know, basically through statistics, either using regression analysis or some Bayesian's. Equations and today, I mean, that whole approach has changed um, because the amount of data that's out there and the sources of data and the types of data has just changed dramatically. So, in the past, there was only certain people who had access to data sets. Now, these data sets are also more available to more people. And this data is coming uh, not only from the traditional sources but also from social media, from these wearable devices, from geolocation from mm-hmm. these personal digital assistants, from other things in the connected home, um, more uh, more digitized information coming from websites and marketing campaigns, uh, beacons. And so the list kind of goes on and on and on. And the, the, the ability for enterprises today to kind of make sure that they are engaged in the IoT ecosystem and that they're looking at their data uh, not under their mattress, but uh, in an environment on a platform that you know, has some uh, emerging technologies around it that can help them analyze this data and find that nugget of gold in the data that's going to be able to help them monetize that that data. Um, So, you know, not only is this data going to be important, it's important for companies to not think that if they're not in a digital industry today that they necessarily have to jump to an adjacent SIT code. I think they need to think more around the digitization of their organization, um, much more around working on their core competencies, working on uh, their existing ways to play in the market and leveraging it from just looking at their product as a standalone product to a product that has some digital support around it, uh, selling and servicing it, to a product that has some digital value add built around it to eventually where a lot of companies are moving now is their product as a platform or as a service. So... Uh, as Don was saying, I agree 100%, massive shifts in the market.
1: Thank you very much. And I'm going to come back after we get Carolyn on this and, and ask about a culture question of how, who is poised or positioned to embrace this mindset shift that you're talking about, Mike. Carol McKenzie, love to get your thoughts. Don opened a very interesting topic. Mike has added certainly some provocative thoughts. Carol McKenzie, what would you like to add?
4: I, I agree with both, both my pan- joint panelists here. I mean, at the end of the day, we're talking about two fundamental kind of aspects here. One is the devices that are collecting the data, and now it's all real-time. So when it happens, that's available. And if you believe the numbers from Gartner or IDC, there would either be 25 billion things by 2020 or 30 billion things that are, are now in a smart-time mm-hmm. fashion transmitting their information. But then it's only as good as taking that and using it, right, for new and better business insights. Pr- processing and visualizing that data. And Bonnie, I just I think it's a good place to mention a great example of this is um, an energy drink provider that it happens to be an SAP <laughs> customer. Um, Rockstar, I believe, is a Coca Cola product, but in this case, it's Red Bull. Everybody knows Red Bull and their crazy marketing, but they're on the leading edge here. And for example. They manage coolers that are in mom-and-pop retail shops, in in grocery Uh stores. We've all seen the Red Bull kind of countertop coolers or the big ones that stand up as big as a vending machine. They're managing a million coolers in 160 countries around the globe. So we've worked with them in a very exemplary example, I think, here that kind of can level set everybody to understand what we're talking about. So what they now have is a global view of these million coolers that they see out of their um, site in California that manages this. It, it has the um, elect- electricity indicators to know that every cooler is on, so to speak. It has mm-hmm. temperature information to know that it's at the right temperature. Inventory information to make sure the products are in there, because if you miss that opportunity, they're going to go grab the monster or the other product. And also indicators that say how many times the doors are open or closed
1: on those coolers. Ah. So they I need one of those for my refrigerator, minutes. Carol.
4: Well, Bonnie, <laughs> <the> Samsung <laughs> smart refrigerator can do that today, actually. So, but but all that in and of itself is not important, right? It's it's what what are the indicators yes. then that show up from that? You know, how can we yes. send out a notification to the store manager that the door is open and it's the temperature is reducing. You know, in Des Moines on Main Street kind of a thing, right? I mean, you begin mm-hmm. to understand that this visibility can, can transform managing your business and ultimately making the customer happy, making sure the product is there when they want to grab sure. it, and driving down the
1: operational costs for the consumer products manufacturer. And that's really what it's all about. And I have to tell you that there's a Red Bull stand-up retail store floor cooler for sale, and there's a YouTube video all about it. I just found that when I was looking it up, Carol. So if anybody wants (laughs) one, (laughs) you can have one. Thank you very much. Don Gordon, you started this part of our discussion. Anything you want to add about what Mike and Carol are both very eloquent and obviously very, very well-informed. Anything you want to add about what they added to your conversation? Yeah, I think it's... um, I, yeah, I love the red,
2: the red bull story. Um, and, uh, kudos to Mike for being able to, uh, to drink those types of beverages. Personally, I can't go, I can't go stronger than coffee. Um, doctor's orders, but basically, um, I think it's really fascinating to look at that kind of convergence of these, um, these devices like the, you know, Mike was mentioning the, you know, that the drones, for example, and then these operational, um, kind of challenges that different companies have. So like another story, which I think is, is, is really fascinating is we're working with um, some of the, the, the companies that, uh, that, that, that grow um, uh, at, at very large scale for what one is a, is a company that produces palm oil. And mm-hmm. so um, what they've done and, and typically something like palm oil production has been very, very labor intensive It requires a ton of, a ton of people. It's, it's very kind of a, uh, kind of difficult work, um, and what, what, what they've done is they've started to incorporate things like drones that can actually um, help to determine in real time which plants need more fertilizer, which plants need water, um, and make very, very targeted decisions at an individual plant level, even though they're dealing with these plantations that are thousands and thousands and thousands of acres. And so that's that's like a really good example of where... They' kind of looked and, and, and said here's here's a device that enables us to capture this this data in real time and make these very, very um, immediate decisions and and in the end if you can if you can make kind of the right decision about which plants need fertilizer um, you end up you can end up saving millions of dollars by not um, essentially feeding plants that don't need to be fed so I think that that's just another kind of example from a different a different portion of the industry that I, that I think is fascinating.
1: Thank you. I think it's all fascinating, and I'm going to move on to another topic. I mentioned culture, and and uh, something here in your notes, Mike Quindazzi, that I think is a to me a perfect segue into this idea of the shift in mindset of looking at things a different way. Uh, one of my questions for the panel would be if if people who attend CES or know about CES and are looking at it from a perspective of, gee, those are really some cool gadgets. What do I want in my house next? And then they go to work and say, gee, how can those cool gadgets impact what I'm doing at work in my company, my industry, my business, my future, uh, and, and maybe there's a, a trying to find a way to link the personal side. I think we've already discussed this to the business side. But let me read something here. Mike says, building up IoT and IIoT, I'm going to have you explain that term for us, Mike. Building up IoT and IIoT capabilities, adapting processes and IT, and driving the cultural shifts in take years it's critical to provide clear leadership from top management but equally important is convincing the top stakeholders who need to roll up their sleeves and implement the desired changes so let's talk about that cultural shift mike talk to me please
3: well really i mean we're we're talking here you know on this in this segment right i mean number of these companies that are out there they're legacy organizations right and They've got markets to protect and, you know, they've got existing revenue streams to fill and, you know, mouths to feed. So, you know, within those organizations, they've you know, they've built up a core uh, capability and competency around their current business. So anytime you introduce a, a new process or a new program, there needs to be a shift in, in the way that uh, management is addressing this uh, with their teams. It, you know, it may, uh, may require a different organizational structure. You know, we're seeing in, in some instances uh, companies are you know, separating out teams to, uh, that aren't in the regular performance management system, that, uh, um, that aren't part of the regular uh, organization and sit in a different uh, think box, right, to come up with new ways mm-hmm. to be able to pilot things and to be able to do things um, in a more iterative way, right, to be able to test uh, things, um, and I think uh, we said that earlier, that uh, may be more incremental as opposed to Big Bang. Uh, so it's definitely much more of an agile approach, an iterative approach. We're also seeing, you know, these large organizations uh, expand into, um, you know, corporate venture capital. Um, maybe if they can't uh, develop it and design it in-house, you know, maybe they can uh, acquire it. Um, and we're seeing, you know, over the last couple of years, an increase in M&A activity. Um, mm-hmm. You know, some of, these, uh, some of these are big brands. Some of these are shifting brands from one large uh, CPG company to another. Uh, But now what we're seeing is these companies invest in uh, smaller companies. And really what they've been looking for is they've been looking for uh, the technology and they've also been looking for the access to the consumer because some of these smaller, more innovative companies that are digital first uh, have figured out a way to engage the consumers in a different way. So, um, you know, as as management kind of looks at this opportunity around IoT um, you know, there's definitely a lot of different strategies to employ to make sure that they're bringing their people along.
1: Thank you very much. Very interesting. Carol McKenzie, love to get your thoughts on this shift from the top executive management, uh, as Mike had said, and also convincing the stakeholders of what they need to do. What do you see, Carol?
4: Yeah, I, I agree with what Mike said. I think there's also a flip side to that coin, though. Um, and let's let's take a look at manufacturing. Um, as Don said earlier one of the key areas you know for potential initial focus is, is supply chain slash manufacturing for consumer products well you can say that for 20 30 plus years you know people have been doing predictive maintenance I mean they all have manufacturing lines these are complex processes they all need servicing on the lines they all need to build in shutdowns for for cleaning and such so predictive maintenance has been around forever Um one could take, you know, existing predictive maintenance investments and processes and now couple it, as I said, with the big data side of the whole IoT equation. So mm-hmm. it only gets more interesting and more precise. So not just what I need to manufacture for the next week, the next month, but maybe I have visibility now to other changes in demand that I have um, really good sense on based on social media insights. You could lay that over the production plan. You could lay over nuances in the workforce. Maybe you have people on a line that are are not as seasoned as, as older employees, and that will affect output. You can layer that on top of it. So, um, IoT and the big data kind of aspect of this lets you layer the complexities and additional inputs to really refine a, a given process, such as manufacturing. So, I think in addition to um, an open mindset from top down within the organization, there's also kind of a bottoms-up approach that might make it more palatable to invest in some of these projects just by extending what we currently have and really making them more complex, but at the same time making them simpler.
1: Thank you. I like when we add the word "simple," simplification, simplified, simplicity to a conversation. Carol, thank you. Don Gordon, let's circle around the table to you. A lot to discuss. What do you see? What do you agree or disagree with? What Mike introduced and Carol added?
2: Yeah. Well, I think the um, I think the issue of uh, of culture change is is really. Um, I mean, it's really important, and I think it's something that actually tends to get overlooked a lot when you're mm-hmm. talking about these these kind of massive opportunities associated with new technologies. Um, and so, I think you know when you introduce something like like Internet of Things, um, you know, first of all, there's 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 definitely a skills gap. I mean, our our study showed that the companies that are most bullish about IoT and are kind of farther ahead one of the things that they're immediately focused on is either retraining staff or identifying external talent with IoT capabilities. They're focused on things like creating new processes to manage IoT. So I think Mike was saying that, you know, there's, there's so much more data that is now available. You know, the more you kind of in, in inject either these devices and sensors, um, you, you get this kind of geometrical increase in the amount of data and so that that means you you know you need people who not only have the ability to to kind of analyze and draw insight out of that data, but you also need people who can potentially look across traditional process silos. So if you, if you really you know you, you may start in a, in one specific area, um, you know manufacturing or something in in, uh, in in logistics or fulfillment, but I mean the the end game with with IoT is to be able to. To look at at data that's that's flowing from from across these different processes, and right now the way the way that people are are trained and the way they're they're um, they're kind of culturally um, acclimated to work is 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 within these very specific siloed areas, and I think you know with with IoT it's going it's going to require. This cultural shift and skill shift, where people have the ability to see this this much bigger picture and think about decisions that can be made all across the the, uh, the the value
1: chain. Thank you very much, Mike. You started this. Would you like to wrap it up? And I want to ask you to do it quickly because there's one part of Carol's notes I really want to introduce before we go to our crystal ball prediction. So, Mike Nazi anything you want to add?
3: Well, I think that's. I think all those comments are absolutely applicable, and you know, to kind of add on to what Carol was saying you know, certainly the approach to predictive maintenance and other things that can be done with that are just getting more and more exciting. And, you know, a lot of these are being enabled by artificial intelligence and different approaches to being able to analyze the data and make things... Just more intuitive, right? Either whether it's in the mm-hmm. supply chain, in the manufacturing operation, or in the consumer interaction. I mean, oddly enough, you know, I was talking about that project I was working on 10 years ago, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden on my LinkedIn screen popped up the project manager that I worked with. So I was
1: like, wow, how did this happen? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> They're watching. I won't say anything else. You said you I go know, on Game Changers,
3: about voice data, and all this other stuff. You you know you start to worry about privacy and cybersecurity, but um, <laughs> it's some funny stuff.
1: I mentioned that as a sidebar in by opening, but uh, Mike, I have to warn you: you go on Game Changers Radio, and people all over the world will know you and remember you instantly. So there, you, there you have it. Thank you, Carol McKenzie. I'm going to read a couple of statements from your notes. We have time for about three minutes for you just to talk about them. Then we'll go to predictions. You say number one. I don't, this is a quote from Carol McKenzie. I don't see any way that CP, consumer products companies, can succeed in this environment without tapping into IoT. Okay, there's number one declaration. Number two, Carol says, I fully expect CP companies to use IoT to develop more personalized products and monitor consumers' specific demands. Okay, another reality check. And number three, this is what I want you to talk about briefly, Carol. She says, one area of the CP industry where we'll see a big IoT impact is called cold chain, the supply chain associated with an item like meat or dairy that has to be kept at a tightly controlled temperature from the farm all the way to the consumer. Yes, Carol, we all want fresh milk and fresh meat and fresh eggs. So, Carol, give us a little insight into why this is so important.
4: Did you know that 30 percent of the global food supply is wasted? That's a trillion dollars in food each year. And um, many uh, of our customers and, and CP companies as a whole are looking at this from a social responsibility aspect now. This is a big problem that the industry together and the hospitality industry have to figure out. A big part of that is Food that goes bad, you know, the stuff you buy in the produce section, meat mm-hmm. and dairy kind of a thing that has to be really controlled from the moment it's picked to the moment we pick it off the shelf and you, and you take it home. So managing those shipping conditions is really, really a big problem in the industry. So monitoring the temperature, getting it every step of the, of the very complex um, value chain, me- measuring vibrations, measuring package orientation, All of that can be done now with sensors. And so people can have a better view of expediting an order or shipping it to a different location because something happened en route and it needs to be, you know, really turned around quickly kind of a thing. We're working, one of our customers is a a major meat producer based in Canada, and they're working with us in an IoT initiative to better manage the chickens that they bring in to be processed because there was so much loss in the live chickens And they had no control or visibility in getting it to the processing plant. So I think the implications for this, you know, transcend to the global scale. And we have a real responsibility as industry leaders to do something about this with our customers. I think the other aspect of this that um, IoT plays a big role in is a blockchain type initiative for food Mm -hmm. safety and recall management. Certainly, IoT data that's shared in a blockchain type of mechanism can only help better manage and tightly control if something has to be recalled. And that's a huge, huge cost, about $10 million in direct costs in the industry per year. So cold chain and food safety recalls, terrific use cases and scenarios for a place to start um, if a company is considering, what do I do, where do I go
1: first? Thank you, Carol. Very interesting. Don, we have so many interesting threads here in the conversation for you to use to plan your next episode here on Consumer Industries. Just a note, just a sidebar to to the producer. So, Don Gordon, we have circled around to you. I give you exactly 60 seconds. Use them well. What is your prediction as you look into the crystal ball? Let's focus on 2020 or later because it's – Almost here we've been talking about it for decades, as Barbara Walters used to say, 2020 maybe she still does. <laughs> Don Gordon predictions 60 seconds. go ahead. Yeah, well I think um, I think we're, you know one of the things that, that,
2: that we'll see um, with this IOT ecosystem and with all the innovation is that right, you know, right now we're in this cycle where there are all of these companies that are, that are focused on producing. Different devices um, that are capable of, of, of gathering data and being useful, either in these in these sort of um, you know large organizations and and in their kind of production environment, or you know individuals in their homes who are you know looking for a way that they can they can kind of voice activate and, and order something just by saying saying what they want. Um, but I, I I think that that what's going to happen over the next few years is that, you know you, you'll start you'll start to see some some sort of bit you know sort of consolidation in terms of of key winners emerging and I think this is true in terms of the. You know the the devices because because you're, when you when you have a device and there's and there's data flowing through it, it's really not so much about the device. It's it's about the overall platform that you build and the ecosystem of different um, either product providers, um, you know, uh, uh, telecom, uh, different types of partners who, who who are who are engaged in the ecosystem. And so you you can't really ha- the market won't won't endlessly support. Um, you know, multiple, multiple platforms. And so I guess this is a long-winded way of saying that that we're going to see that the that the companies that, that have moved quickly starting now and started to um, think about how they can use IoT and started to think about how to build the ecosystem that they're going to work with, uh, by the time you get to 2020, those companies are going to have a very significant head start.
1: Thank you very much. We have 60 seconds from Mike Quindazzi, and only 60 seconds. Mike, use them well. Go ahead.
2: Well,
3: I'll say while tomorrow is uncertain, certainly the future is going to be different. You know, we're seeing new products and new business models evolve at an increasingly fast pace. Uh, We're seeing, you know, as Carol was mentioning, more intuitive and predictive opportunities. A lot of these are becoming democratized. They're in the digital cloud. These are available as a service for enterprises to take a look at. Uh, these uh, predictive clouds will you know, not only match uh, workers with employers, skills with demand, but also capital with innovators and consumers with suppliers. When you take a look at the Amazon uh, Go store that was uh, recently uh, opened in Seattle after a year after its introduction, and you look at the AI Poly introduction over at CES, I mean, the ability to kind of not only create a seamless checkout in the retail environment, but also to kind of map behaviors uh, through video and through sound and through uh, sensors. It's just unbelievable. Uh, and, you know, the last thing I'll kind of end with is, you know, sometimes the data that you're getting may not be the data that's the most value. You know, a few years ago, I worked with a company that was doing some predictive maintenance on some farming equipment. And, you know, rather than just telling, you know, the operator when they to change the oil, they figured out they could predict crop yields based upon how often the machines were running, and that data actually became more valuable uh, to the commodities market uh, rather than to just fixing the machine.
1: Thank you very much, Carol. I saved. Oh, Carol, I've got about 45 seconds for you. Let's get your prediction in before we close. Go ahead, Carol. Thanks, Bonnie. Um, I warned you. <laughs> I mean
4: technology stops being technology when you stop wondering how it works. And I think that we will, see the, um, uh, we will see the fulfillment of what I call the replenishment economy, where we'll be comfortable in our houses with our devices replenishing our stuff. I mean, we can see it already. There's a smart Samsung refrigerator that can reorder what you need in your refrigerator. But as all these devices are going to be talking to each other, and we're comfortable with that, we don't even think about it anymore. Um, you know, you don't have to do a pantry restock on a Saturday anymore. Those days are really gone. I think there's a generation that will never know the type of weekend shopping that we've grown up with. So I think from a consumer goods manufacturer perspective, that means um, demand will be in some cases smoother and easier to um, to forecast and will give them a chance to focus on more of the long-tail products that are more customized for you and me and to really personalize the experience in new and novel ways.
1: Thank you, Carol. We've got to close. I want to say a special thanks. Don Gordon, wow, what a great debut. You really set the bar high for this series. I know it was work, but it was worth every minute of it. Glad we could do it together. Don Gordon at SAP, Mike Quindazzi at PWC, Carol McKenzie at SAP. I'm Bonnie DeGram. Thank you to our, our fearless engineer, Aaron, at the Business Channel. Here we go. Fasten your seatbelt. What in the world are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Signing off, that's the end of our broadcast week. Be back next Tuesday with more live Game changer shows. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to Changing the Game in Consumer Industries, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.